Good evening. Thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, we are in Psalm 96. If you happen to have a Bible nearby, I would encourage you to open that up to Psalm 96. And uh, we're going to pray together and just ask the Lord to uh, be glorified during this time. And so right where you are, whether you're watching from home or from a cell phone in your car, uh, if you would be willing just to ask the Lord to speak to your heart right now, would you do that? Father, in Jesus' name, we commit this time to you. We thank you for the Word of God, which is always fresh bread uh, for every day for us. And so, Lord, we just ask that Jesus be lifted up, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to what you want to communicate, that you would reveal more of who you are to us, and that you would be glorified during this time. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, uh, <clears throat> these are bizarre times that we are in. I don't know how many times I have uh, been talking to my wife in the kitchen about something and just stopped and just shaking my head saying, this is just crazy. Almost feels like the twilight zone, <laughs> what people are going through right now. And I know many people, when they're looking at a global pandemic, which in our lifetime has never happened before. I don't know if it's ever happened before at this level. And then the technology that we have, the fear that this generation is responding with, uh, the confusion that even in the church we're seeing. I know many people, if they believe in God at all, are asking the question, what is God up to? Or what are you doing, Lord? And that may be something that you have been asking yourself. And uh, so I want to talk about that tonight, and I just want us to look at what God's Word says because um, He always is ready with, with a relevant answer, and He is always uh, a million steps ahead of us. And there is nothing going on right now that He didn't know about even before He created the world thousands of years ago. And so there is never any panic or worry in heaven. And for me, when I tell my kids that, uh, that there's no worry in heaven, there's no panic in heaven, it doesn't matter what happens on earth, the Lord anticipated it, he knew what was going to happen, and he is going to be glorified through it, because he is working all things together for good, and he created us for his glory, and he can use all circumstances for his glory. If we look at Jesus heading to the cross, even Judas betraying him, God used for his glory. Peter denying him, God used for his glory. Uh, there, there is nothing that happens on the earth that catches God by surprise. And so with that in mind, I want us to answer the question tonight, in light of a global pandemic, in light of all that's going on with the coronavirus, with businesses being shut down, with economies uh, now being... Uh, at a halt right now, what is God up to? I love this quote by John Piper. He said, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. And so I want you to know God is doing what he has always been doing. He is unchanging. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, God does not change in his nature. And it says in Ephesians 1, he is doing everything according to the counsel of his perfect will. And so he is carrying out his plans, and uh, those plans are good. And they're good for his church, they're good for him, and, and, uh, and we need to rest in his sovereignty in the midst of that. So, in Psalm 96, 
The reason I picked this passage is because it touches on so many things that I wanted to point out that are in other parts of Scripture that God is doing. And I love just this sovereign perspective that David has in this passage. Look at this. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. When we look at this passage, singing to the Lord a new song, and then going into proclaiming good tidings of his salvation, we're singing songs of evangelism, the good news, and we're doing it among the nations. I love this because David, who is a Jew, is communicated even in this passage that the good news of the gospel is going to go beyond the Jews, and it will reach all peoples. You see that in verse 3, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. Every nation, uh, every tribe, every tongue is going to hear the gospel, and we need to be people that are constantly proclaiming the good news of the gospel regardless of what's going on in our culture. I I love the fact that the gospel can be surfed on the waves of the culture whether the news is good or bad. When good things happen in scripture, God is glorified, the gospel is propelled. When bad things happen, people turn to the Lord in desperation, the gospel is propelled. So whatever the news is that comes over the media that may be fear-inducing, we should respond with not only no fear and no worry and no panic, trusting our sovereign Lord, but we should also respond with, Lord, use this to advance your kingdom. Use this to propel the gospel among the nations. So with this in mind, I want to point out a few passages of scripture. What is God doing at the time? At this time, first, he is reigning from the heavens. You see that down there where it says, the Lord reigns in verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. USA Today recently put out an article and they were interviewing different religious leaders and they were coming back with all these different responses, responses as to what they said God may or may not be doing. One person who was a professor from Northwest Nazarene University, he said this, God can't simply prevent the coronavirus or any other natural evils single-handedly, but he requires our participation and cooperation to fight it, he says. And I think about those two first words, God can't, he said, and immediately he loses all credibility with me because God can do anything he wants to. 
There is no limitation to him. Nothing is impossible for him. And scripture communicates that not only can he do things, but he is sovereign. He is Lord over all. Deuteronomy 32, 39 says this, and this is totally contrary to what some uh, uh, television preachers are communicating. The Lord says this, see now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal and no one can deliver out of my hand. In Psalm 103, verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereign kingdom, he rules over all. When Jesus was about to ascend into heaven, he was saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It says in Ephesians that when Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father after his ascension, that he was seated far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, and he put all things under his feet. Colossians chapter 1, in him, in Christ, all things are held together. Nothing has happened apart from the sovereign hand of God, and Scripture in the Old Testament and the New Testament backs that up. He is rightfully ruling right now. He is actively bringing all things under his feet. He's actively fulfilling his word as he has been doing Uh, all along, and he will continue to do. Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, it's interesting, he's prophesying of future times nearing his return. They're saying, Jesus, what are the signs of your return? And listen what he says. He says, there will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences, diseases in various places and fearful events. It's like today's news, and Jesus is predicting that 2,000 years ago in Luke chapter 21. He is fulfilling his word right now, and he is also actively answering millions of prayers right now. If you think back to January 1st, earlier this year, and you're thinking, what were you praying then as you began a new year? What were you hoping for? What have you been praying for over the last few years? Lord, I want to draw closer to you. Lord, I want to spend more time in your word. Lord, would you help me to spend more time with my family? Would you help me get caught up at home? Would you help me work on my marriage? Would you turn the hearts of my children towards me? Would you unify our family? Would you simplify my life? Will you lower my stress level? Lord, would you, would you, would you? And the Lord is like, yes, ask and you shall receive. I'm going to do it and answer those prayers in a way that you weren't expecting But I believe, and I already see it in my own life, I'm seeing it all the time, so many things I have prayed for the last few years, I'm seeing now being answered in the last few weeks during the coronavirus. Totally unexpected. And I'm seeing the Lord being sovereign and being glorified in my own life, in my own family, answering prayers. And I bet you can say the same thing is true of you. He is sovereignly answering prayers in our lives. What's he doing? He's being glorified. He's reigning. He's answering prayer. So if you look in verse 4, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. The second thing he's doing that I want to point out, you may be able to add a lot more to this, is he is actively judging the nations. The scriptures communicate that God has judged the nations in the past. We saw that with Egypt and the plagues. We saw that with Sodom and Gomorrah. We saw that at the time of Noah when he's judging the world. He is judging right now, Scripture communicates, and he will ultimately judge on the day of judgment when he returns. 
In Psalm 7, verse 8, he says, The Lord judges currently, presently, the people. Vindicate me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and my integrity. In Psalm 9, he says, Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. And it's interesting, with all of our technology, all of our knowledge, all of our science in this generation, we are being reminded of our neediness, of our mortality, of our ignorance of the future, of our inability to control this invisible enemy of the coronavirus. It says in verse 10, he will judge the peoples with equity. God's judgment is perfect, and it's flowing from a loving heart. It's it's flowing from a holy heart. He has perfect knowledge in everything that he judges in anyone's life. There are many judges of this world. They're constantly trying to gather information from both sides, the prosecuting attorney, the defense attorney, trying to gather the facts because they don't have omniscience. And yet our God in his judgment has a perfect heart, sinlessness, and in all of his judgment he judges with equity, with fairness, with justice. It says in verse 13, For he is coming to judge the earth, and he will judge the world in righteousness. There's no injustice in our God. People may say, well, you know, I just don't believe in the wrath of God. That makes me feel uncomfortable. They say, well, you know, is God's wrath really being revealed right now against all ungodliness and unrighteousness and sin? Well, yes, it is. Romans 1 says, for the wrath of God is being revealed presently from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. If you look at verse 4, for great is the Lord greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. The other thing he's doing is he's humbling the gods of this world. You see that in the book of Exodus, that he says, I will bring down all the idols, all the gods of Egypt. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and one plague after another exposed and humiliated their frog gods, their sun gods. Pharaoh called himself a god. They had the Nile was considered a god at the time. Cows were considered gods. They had all of these things, and God crushed and brought under his feet all of those gods before delivering the children of Israel, humbling the gods of this world. And he's doing that now. If you remember the Ten Commandments, the first commandment is, you shall have no gods before me. And in America, we, we don't usually have idols that we bow down to. There are countries all over the world where there are people making idols still, kneeling down, bowing down before them. Pastor Bill Eliff wrote this, He said, there's a phenomenon happening right now during the coronavirus that we must not miss. God is systematically stripping away every idol that we worship, and he's doing it across the world. Taken away from us are our gods of sports, entertainment, health, wealth, position, money, power. One by one, we find that the things we look to for life and meaning suddenly gone, stripped away by an army of germs that we can't even see. This microscopic horde is no respecter of persons. Neither the wealthiest nor the poorest is immune from this disease. Senators in the halls of government can fall, as can the clerk at the nearest grocery store. Money can't buy deliverance, nor can position, nor human power. 
We have all been powerless, but this moment is reminding us of our frailty in no uncertain terms. God is humbling us, and he's doing it from a loving, compassionate heart, but God is communicating his sovereignty. Now think about this. God is so patient. Scripture communicates how loving and patient he is. Even when he judged Israel in the book of Exodus, it was after 10 times of them rebelling against him and him showing more mercy upon mercy upon mercy upon mercy. But he is a just God. And he hit the point where he said judgment is going to fall. And we think about the mercy that God has poured out upon us. His mercies are new every morning. The mercies he's poured out upon the nations after we've rejected him, rejected his word, slaughtered the unborn, dishonored his design for sexuality, marriage, purity, the things that we have done among the nations. And yet God has been so merciful and compassionate that he can use something like this to call us back to repentance. And even that is the mercy of God, inviting us to get right with him, to seek him, to make sure that he is Lord over every area of our lives because he will have no idols. He wants us to love him first. So I want to ask you a question. Is there anything in your life that recently has taken precedence over the Lord where it is number one in your heart over the Lord? It is more endearing to you than the Lord, and you're not loving him with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Christ is not preeminent in everything in your life. And could it be that God recently has taken that idol away from you and reminding you that he, the creator, rules supreme, loves you most, and he deserves and is worthy of your heart, your life, your mind, your honor, your allegiance. So people ask, well, would God really send a disease or a plague? And scripture communicates that sometimes he will send them and sometimes he will allow them. In the book of Job, as we know, Satan was attacking Job, and Satan brought a disease on Job's life, and God allowed it in that situation. But there are other passages, like in Exodus, where God said, I am sending the plague or the disease. In the book of Revelation, God is talking about plagues that heaven is sending, that he is sending upon the earth in judgment. In Deuteronomy, in Isaiah, in Psalms, God, God warns the people that there are times when he will send a disease. A wasting disease. In Deuteronomy 28, the Lord will plague you with diseases. Isaiah 10, therefore the Lord, the God Almighty, will send a wasting disease. Psalm 106, God sent a wasting disease in those situations. Am I saying that's what's happening right now? No, I don't know. We don't know what God is doing, but here's what we do know. He's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. We deserve hell, and yet the cross of Christ is communicating the mercy, the compassion, the deliverance of God, and he's inviting us to turn to him for such a time as this, regardless of the cause. But this is not God's desire. If we look at God's heart in Scripture, I just sent an email to my kids recently, uh, because the Lord in Isaiah 30 says, the Lord binds up the bruises of his people. He heals the wounds that he inflicted. Look at Jesus. He was the fullness of God in bodily form. And yet when he's showing up, his business was healing disease, showing his power over them. It's interesting that it was through disease that God would cause people to seek Jesus in their desperation. And then Jesus, through the healing of those diseases, the deliverances of, of those diseases, revealed his love, compassion, and power and drew those people into a relationship with him. And they began to follow him loyally after that point. 
Listen to Lamentations chapter 1, verse 31. It says, though he brings grief, he also shows compassion because of the greatness of his unfailing love. For he does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. That's Lamentations 1, 31 through 33. In Ezekiel 33, the Lord says, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, the Lord says. In John 3, 17, you may be familiar with this. Jesus says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so think about this. Could it not be the mercy of the Lord that if God sees people destined towards an eternity separated from him, destined towards being punished, destined towards the wrath of God upon their sin through hell, and yet he knows if I don't intervene, if I don't do anything that awakens them or causes them to realize their mortality, their desperate need for me, if I don't do that, then they will perish. And so could it not be the Lord, as we see happen throughout Scripture, that he says, I'm going to allow you to be uncomfortable. I'm going to allow you to, to lose things that you cherish and enjoy. I'm going to stir you up to turn back to me and turn your heart back to me. Back in Psalm 96, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among the people. What is God doing right now? He is fulfilling the great commission right now. He's taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. He's awakening spiritually blind people to their need for him. He's calling sinners to repentance out of his love for him. In 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, but he is long-suffering towards us, patient with us, not wanting any to perish, but that all may come to repentance. God is spreading the gospel. I'm a, uh, growing up, I've always been a heavy sleeper. And uh, when I was a kid, my mom would, could come in and the alarm clock could go off. I could sleep right through it. The storms, the tornadoes, the lightning, the thunder, I could sleep right through it. And she would try to wake me up as a kid to get ready to go to school. And I wouldn't hear her. The alarm clock goes off. I don't hear it. She's, Stephen, get up. She turns the light on. I'm not seeing. I'm just sleeping. And she finally got to the point where she, sometimes she would throw cold water on me and it would startle me. And I was uncomfortable. I didn't like it. I hated it. But it got to that point where this didn't get your attention. So I'm ramping it up. This didn't get your attention. This didn't get your attention. This didn't get your attention. You will see that in Scripture, that God will send warnings after warnings after warnings, calling people to repentance. And then sometimes he ramps it up and says, I'm going to do something that's going to get your attention. Listen to this. I love this. In April, on April 7th, just a few days ago, Christianity Today published an article and said, coronavirus has led to millions hearing about Jesus. Millions of worried people have turned to Google with their anxiety over COVID-19, and they've ended up connecting with Christian evangelists in their search results, leading to a spike in online conversions in March. 
three of the largest online evangelism ministries, Global Media Outreach, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, and Crew, say the number of people seeking online information about Jesus has increased since the COVID-19 outbreak. Internet searches related to prayer in 75 countries have skyrocketed. We are seeing millions of people open to talking about faith in the face of their fears, said Michelle Diedrich, uh, who's GMO's Seeker Journey Director, and we're ramping up to be available for them. In March, BGEA, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, launched landing pages with coronavirus resources in six languages. They've had more than 10,000 people make decisions for Christ accepting Christ as a result. In response to COVID-19, Crew has added 52 new resources to their websites. A corresponding bump in traffic has the ministry on pace to eclipse last year's total number of visitors by 20 million this year, and the site's total decisions for Christ by more than 300,000. Across all generations, people said the coronavirus outbreak has caused them to feel closer to God. And during one week in March, Cruise digital resources were accessed from every country in the world. This is one of the greatest moments in the history of the church for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. A television station in Iran is preparing to distribute evangelistic sermons to 6 million people. There is now a global outreach day planned for May 30th that has largely been driven online by COVID-19. An international coalition of organizers has set up a goal of mobilizing 100 million believers to share the gospel with 1 billion people worldwide in May. Among the main evangelistic methods will be posting personal testimonies online and then sharing with people and with their friends via social media and text messages. If every Christian would send the gospel presentation to at least one person online and ask that person's opinion of it, you would see a lot of people having a chance to come to know Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise the When I hear those numbers, and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, if I didn't know you and I was hard-hearted against you and in my comfort zone, entertaining myself to death, watching Netflix every day, playing video games every day, just feasting and dying, waiting to perish, and you use something like the coronavirus to awaken me to my spiritual need, to allow me to hear the gospel, to draw me to salvation, to cause me to spend an eternity with you in heaven, praise the Lord. God right now is using this situation to fulfill the Great Commission and to advance his kingdom. We don't need to panic or worry. We need to realize that he is bringing good out of all of this. Verse 7, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. God, at the same time that he's doing these other things, is also strengthening families. He's working in families. He's bringing families back together that are so disconnected, so busy, so uh, digitally relating to people online, but not talking to one another across the dinner table. And right now you see it. I see it in my own home, spending more time with my family than I have in years, spending time with my children having heart-to-heart conversations with them. Uh, Marriages are being tested and strengthened during this time. 
Billy Graham said the family is the most important institution of the world. If the home goes, the nation's going to go. In the home, character is formed, integrity is born, values we live by are made clear, attitudes are formed that last a lifetime. He said the greatest legacy one can pass on to one's children and grandchildren is not money or other materially uh, accumulated things in your life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. And right now, God is forcing us to say no to our regular busyness. He's taking the things away that have been distracting us and giving us an opportunity to pour into our families. And I'm just praising the Lord for that. I'm so grateful for that. Uh, King Hezekiah, the Lord said, because of death coming, you need to set your house in order. First Timothy Chapter 3, if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? I believe God wants to raise up many men to spiritual leadership in the church, but he knows they're not qualified or ready because they need to go home and work on their marriages and their family. They're not, they're not ready to take on uh, the third base because they hadn't gotten first base and second base right. And right now, he's causing us to get our priorities in order. So when I think about the home right now, What would God want to do in your home to draw you closer together? Because God God is a family. The Trinity is a family in eternity. Before there was a man and a woman in a marriage in a garden, there was a father and a son for all eternity in perfect unity and harmony between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And love, respect, honor, joy at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. And he's inviting us to model that in our homes, in our marriages, with our families. The Lord wants us to love our families, to serve our families, to encourage our families, to pray with our families. The fellowship we're longing, the friendships we're longing in this world that we're not having, the Facebook experiences that are not satisfying the intimacy needs in our hearts, God wants us to turn and look at our own families and start spending time with them. And he wants us to develop the faith, the character of our children for such a time as this. I want to challenge you to to model Christianity at home with your family. Pray for your family. And let your home become not a law-based home where you're keeping score and constantly uh, loving people based upon their performance, whether they deserve it or not, you're deciding how you're going to treat them. In Christianity, we have grace-based homes. We have grace pouring out into our hearts from the Lord. We're pouring out grace to our families, and we're extending that grace to one another. Recently, my wife and I were sitting with our kids and just telling them, we're broken people. We're broken parents in a broken world. We need your grace too. We're trying to 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 follow Christ. We're trying to be good parents for you, but we don't always get it right. And we need your forgiveness when we blow it. And uh, we need some space to be imperfect too, because we're trying to follow the Lord. But it's, it's such a beautiful thing when we live that way in our homes and we give each other space and grace to be broken people. And we love one another and serve one another and bloom into Christ's likeness by speaking the truth and love towards one another. And then in verse 9, worship the Lord in his holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. God is making us holy in Christ. He is sanctifying his church. He's testing believers and sanctifying us. Scripture communicates that God will test us. 
He will allow circumstances, as he did with Abraham and Isaac, as he did with Israel, with water, manna, false prophets. He says, I'm testing you. And as Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit to be tested, the scriptures communicate that we will be tested and we should consider it all joy. It says in James chapter 1, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, God is revealing areas of unchristlikeness in us through the pressures that we're going through, through the loss that we're going through, and he's conforming us to the image of his son. I had an amazing conversation with my son this week. He was talking about the things God has been teaching him uh, since we've been quarantined, about the love of God, the things he's been learning from the word, the things he's been learning about himself and how the Lord is growing him. And I'm just so grateful in our broken, imperfect family, how the, the gospel is transformational, how the, the mercy of God uh, through answered prayer, the love of God through the Holy Spirit being given to us daily to help us to grow. And I just think, what a beautiful opportunity. There are going to be so many believers that are going to be so grateful for things they've never thanked God for in the past. I mean, think about it. You're going to be thanking God for being able to, to, to go to church, shake a hand, hug a neck, uh, do things that you normally take for granted because of what we've been through in this situation. It says in Hebrews 12 that God disciplines his children, every son in whom he delights, so that we may share in his holiness, to yield peaceful fruit of righteousness in our lives. Jesus used the analogy of the Father pruning away branches that are not producing fruit. And I believe he's doing that right now. He's looking at our lives and he's seeing a lot of things that are not producing fruit and he's taking those things away so that we can produce more fruit with the branches that remain. And so then in Psalm 96, verse 13, before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth, he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. I believe that God is using this situation to prepare us for his return. To prepare us for his return. In Matthew, Jesus said, a sign of the end times were the earthquakes, were the diseases that would come. He's turning our hearts back to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. God is calling us to him, to fix our eyes on him. You know, it's in the book of Revelation in chapter 3 when Jesus is speaking to the church, and he says, you've been saying, I'm rich and I'm wealthy and I have need of nothing, but he says, I've been looking at your life and seeing that you're poor and you're wretched and you're naked. And he says, turn back to me, repent and be zealous, he said. And it's in that context that Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, fellowship with you and you with me. This is to the church. And Jesus is inviting us into greater intimacy. He sees the true condition of our lives. He sees the sin that we have hidden. He sees the pride, the self-sufficiency. And the Lord, in all of his mercy, looks down and says, I'm going to bless you with something, an opportunity to humble yourself, a reminder of your need for me. 
I'm going to draw your family close together. I'm going to evangelize the nations through this. I'm going to conform you more to the image of Christ. And God is inviting us into greater intimacy with Him, to abide with Him, to walk with Him. So I want to encourage you. Scripture communicates that God predetermines where we will live and when we will live there so that we will seek Him and find Him. Have you been seeking the Lord more in the last few weeks? Because He's inviting you to. Have you been prioritizing him in your schedule because your schedule just got freed up in an, in an overwhelming way. Well, what have you filled it up with? Have you now put time with him, time in prayer, time delighting in him, time worshiping him, time to feast on his word? Has that taken precedence? Because we're being tested right now, and it's revealing where our hearts are and if our hearts are completely his. And all of us are drawn constantly by the media, <clears throat> by our cell phone, by our yard, <laughs> by the distractions that are around us, by the busyness of online opportunities. And the Lord has given us an oasis, in a sense, in our schedules to focus in on Him and spend time with Him. <clears throat> it's interesting to me that the church has often quoted 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, the Lord says, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. That's verse 14. Listen to verse 13. The Lord says, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or I command the locust to devour the land, or I send pestilence or disease among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. I believe the love of God, the glory of God, the mercy of God, the sufficiency of God is being communicated loudly from heaven. And I believe he is inviting us into intimacy with him like never before. And he has given us this gift. What are we going to do with this gift? I think, what a gift, Lord, that you would answer my prayers for such a time as this, that you would help me to draw close to my family when we're on our deathbed, we're not going to be thinking about, man, I wish I, I could have spent more time in the office. I wish I could have, you know, spent more time scrolling through Facebook. We're going to be thinking about where we stand with the Lord, and we're going to be thinking about the people that we love the most, wanting more time with them. So I think what a gift of God that he has given us. Yes, our hearts break for the loss of businesses. Yes, we grieve over people who are struggling right now. Yes, the people who have died, the tens of thousands of people who've died. We grieve, we mourn over that. I have friends who have relatives that have died. So we grieve over that. This is not easy for a lot of people. But at the same time, in the midst of all of this, our God is working all things together for good. 
to conform us to the image of his son, to invite us to himself, to give people another chance to seek him and find him, and for us to draw in intimacy with him and to seek his face for such a time as this that he might heal our land, that he might bring revival. So I want to encourage you to seek the Lord. I want to encourage you to press into him. And I want to encourage you to pray for revival because our ears may be open enough, undistracted enough right now to hear his voice. Would you pray with me now? Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you that your heart is not to harm us or to hurt us or to cause us pain that you did not send your Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him we might be saved. Lord, your heart is not to condemn people to hell. Your heart is not that we would perish. You take no delight in the death of the wicked. But Lord, your heart is that we would turn to you. And your word says, you have been so patient with us. The goodness of God is leading us to repentance. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do a deep work down in the depths of our hearts, that you would draw us intimately to yourself more than ever before. Lord, that you would heal our homes and our families. I know some people, their marriages is struggling more now than ever before. But, Lord, I pray you would use this testing as an opportunity to show them how they need to seek your face, how they need to humble themselves before you, how they need to apologize, how they need to forgive, and how they need to lay their marriage, their family, their children on the altar before you. So, Lord, we pray, God, for you to be glorified. Yes, we ask, Lord, for you to provide vaccines and deliverance from this virus. Yes, we pray, God, that you would heal our economy, that you would return us to work. Yes, we pray, God, that you would allow us to to, to worship again corporately in our churches. But Lord, we trust your perfect, sovereign timing. And Lord, we ask that you would finish the good work you have started in us. And we pray, Father, that you would bring revival to our hearts and to your church, that you would send the gospel to the nations, and you would be glorified through it all. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.